promise you we'll only see that one more time, okay? Because <laughs> this is a five-week series, this is week four. So uh, next week we'll see that. I don't know if you've gotten tired of that or, you know, you're going like, wow, it makes me tired just watching that. But uh, <clears throat> we're in week four of a series called Breathing Room. And uh, we've been talking about a breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits, the space between our current pace and our limits. We've been talking about how God wants us to have breathing room in our lives. God did not create us to be people that are frantic and look like that all the time. He wants us to have breathing room in our, in our finances. He wants us to have, we talked about that last week. He wants us to have breathing room in our time uh, because time is limited. And today we're going to talk about, actually I was going to be originally a four-week series and next week was going to be the last week and this, well, I decided to add back in another week because this is something that, um, that I think that really is hugely important. I've talked about this before several years ago, but uh, today we're going to talk about having breathing room in our relationships. Because the reality is, is that our time is limited. We do not have unlimited time. All of us just have 24 hours in a day. And we talked last week about why, why we can often, really our finances, our money is limited too. We can stretch our money because we can go into debt to do things, which is not really good. But uh, we do that as well. Now, um, one of the things I found in life is that certain things are made to stretch and others aren't. Like this rubber band here. Can you see it? I don't know if you can see it up there. This is a good rubber band here. You know, rubber bands, they stretch pretty good. But the problem with rubber bands, if you stretch them too far, they, they break as well. Somebody was just, some, some couple of you are freaking out over there going, oh, no. I got my safety glasses on, okay? So we're good, okay? Um, see, when we're pulled in different directions, what happens sometimes in our life, we feel like we're about to break, and we sometimes do. And, and, and the two things that, that, that are the largest things that take up our time are what? Work. And what's the other one? No, 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 not sleep. Oh my gosh, you guys just don't, you really need this lesson today, that's all I can say. Family, family, your relationships, that's the other thing that causes us to stretch in two different directions, work and family, work and family. The problem isn't, and so often we think, well, you know, if I just had better time management, that it that would work better, but the problem isn't time management. The fact is we simply don't have enough time to do everything that our job and our family demand. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you sat down and figured out all the things that your job could possibly demand you to do, every phone call you could possibly make, every email you could send, every contact you could do, everything you could possibly do, would you ever go home? I have never gone home from the office one day and have said everything's done. No matter how many hours I worked, it never has happened. And probably it's the same for you. See, our jobs can demand all of our time if we allow it to. Likewise, if we sat down and figured out how much time was required to fill our children's love tank, they do have a love tank, by the way, if we, we fill up our children's love tank, so that they would say, this is how you would know if they was filled up. If your child would come to you and say, Daddy, or they would come to me and say, Daddy, uh, you know, I've played enough. You can go and do something with Mommy now. Some of you are laughing, you know, like, you know, that's never going to happen, right? Children have this, un, you know, especially young children have this, this, this it, they can never, you can never be satisfied. Come, play more, play more, play more. And then on top of that, how are we going to fill up our spouse's love tank as well and keep it full? If we did all that and spent all the time necessary to do that as well, what would happen? We wouldn't have any time to work. 
And so we have this, this dilemma that's going on that stretches us to the limit in a real sense. And the question we're going to talk about today, when work and family collide, which one comes out on top? Because one will. Because the reality is this, all too often I believe the answer is work for many of us because, and I've been there myself many, many times, we pour ourselves into our work uh, and to the detriment of our family. And it's kind of like, we, we're kind of tying some things together here. One of the reasons we do that is we have justified in our mind that what, the, what we really want to do if we love our family is we want to supply them with all this stuff because we talked about that last week. We want to have, we want to have, get, get all this stuff because we think that'll make us happy and it'll make them happy. But the reality is that's not true. And so we work and work and work because the idea is this, we need more stuff. And so that happens. But also another reason that we work a lot too is if we want to keep our work, we want to be successful, it also feeds our egos. Hugely. Especially guys. Okay, guys, I'm not, today's sermon is more to you than it is for women, okay? Women, you're not off the hook though. Okay? Because the reality is sometimes your egos are fed by other things. Stay-at-home moms. Sometimes you uh, spend way too much time with the kids. And not enough time with your husband. Let me tell you this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. The greatest thing, the, most, the best thing you can give your children is a great relationship with your spouse. The very best thing you can do. Now, today we're going to talk about this because uh, several years ago, one of the most impactful little messages I ever heard, the most impactful little books I've ever read is a little book by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. It's a very small book. You can read it in like two hours. It doesn't take very long to read. But he talks about this, he says, and it's an interesting book from a Christian pastor, Choosing to Cheat. You know, somebody's going to like, really? Yeah, really. He says this, and I agree with it. We all have limited time in our life, and because of that, we have to choose to cheat somewhere. You can't do everything that's demanded of you, and so you've got to cheat somebody. And the question is, are you going to cheat your family, or are you going to cheat your work? That's the question today. And so today, I need a volunteer. <clears throat> Who wants to volunteer to come up on stage and help me? It's very important, very important, and it's, it's hugely important, but you've got to be able to at least hold something that weighs 20 pounds. And if you don't raise your hands right now, I'm going to point somebody. Ethan, come on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ethan, in, 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 in Illinois, I understand you call this a sack of potatoes. It's only 20 pounds, okay? Sack of potatoes. In, in Virginia, or on the East Coast, all the East Coast calls this a bag of potatoes, okay? For our illustration purposes today, this is a bag, okay? It's not a sack. Can you hold this, man? You think, hold it. Can you think you can hold it? Yeah. It's important that you hold it. I'm, I'm not just telling you this. It's important that you hold this bag and hold it as long as I ask you to hold it. Okay. No matter how long it is. Okay. <laughs> you don't look like you're too sure about this, Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Any way you want to hold it, just stand there. All you got to do is stand there and hold it. That's your whole job, okay? You're holding the bag, okay? The thing is, today, this illustrates, in a sense, what we do with our family. Isn't this cool? Ethan's going like, oh, man, I thought I was going to. Oh, no, this is not cool at all. Um, 
So often what happens with us, I didn't really want to hold the bag, that's why I got volunteered to do it today. So what happens to us is we, when we ask our families, we ask our family, we pray a prayer sometimes. Christians do this all the time. They'll say, God, you know, what I want to do is that I know I don't have enough time to do all the things that are demanded of work and all the things that are demanded of family. So God, what I'll do is I'll do everything I need to do at work. And then God, will you just kind of help them? Will you use and help and get my family through this? And so when we choose to cheat our family, we hand them the bag. You still got to hold it. You still good? Okay. Okay. And they got to hold the bag. And we tell them it's important because it's for their future. The reason I have to work so hard is because it's for their future. And it may be partially true, but it may be not partially true as well. And so the reality is they're standing holding the bag. Okay? And they go through life, and, and what happens is that uh, what happens is, is we basically tell in our family when we ask them to hold the bag, whatever the expectations are, what we're doing is we're saying, trust me, trust me. This is important. This is really important. Just do it. And guess what? What happens usually when we ask our family to trust us? They trust us. They believe it really is important and they trust us in, in a lot of different ways. But after a while, if we keep saying, you know, just, just hold it for a little while. And after a while, we don't come back and they're still holding the bag. And what does, what's supposed to have been maybe a month or six months or a year or two years ends up being five years and ten years. You're not going to have to hold the bag that long, okay? And, and, and what they're doing is what happens after you're physically holding the bag, all this, all this burden for so long? What happens? You get tired. Give it to me. You can give it to me. And what happens is, let go, we drop the bag. You can go sit down, thank you. <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? Okay. See, they will do that for a while. Family will do that for a while because they trust us. But the problem is, is when we give them something that, we, that only we can fill. You know, there's only two roles in life that are really the only ones that I can fill. And there's only two roles that you can fill. What are the two roles? I, the only roles that I can fill is I can only be the first husband for my wife. She might can get another one. But I can only be the first. Okay? And the other role is what? I can only be the father. For my children. Guess what? The pastor of this church, when I leave here, there'll be another pastor. There'll be somebody else that's standing up here doing this and leading the church and doing all the things. That is secondary to my primary roles. That's what the Bible says. My primary roles, the primary things I'm supposed to be doing is to be a father and to be a good husband. And that's actually backward. Number one is being a good husband. Number two, being a good father. And so the thing we have to understand this morning when we, we eliminate those and ask our family to hold the bag in a sense, what happens is they may do it intentionally, but I cannot tell you how many times that, we'll that I've heard this happen so many times. People come to my office and some guy will say to me or some woman will say to me, I just don't understand what happened. Everything seemed to be going well in our marriage. And all of a sudden he comes in or she comes in and they say, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. And they're, they're clueless. And all they've been doing, all they've been doing for all this time is asking their family to hold the bag, to hold this weight up, this weight, this burden of all the things that really 
they shouldn't be asked to hold up during a life. So, what do we do? What do we do when we do that? See, the problem is, is that God has given us, you know, God has told us that there's two important things. We're to work and we're to have family, two major aspects of our life. And the thing is, is that God says we're to do what? We're to do our work as unto the Lord, and we're to do what with our families? Love our families. Sometimes we get that confused, though. Sometimes some people love their work and do their family. And what I mean by that is this. They simply, I've heard people say, well, I'm committed to marriage. Well, folks, that may sound good, but I'm not committed. Yeah, you'd be committed to marriage, but I, that's not the primary thing. I'm not committed to marriage. I'm committed to a person myself personally named Vicki. Not just to this idea of marriage, just keeping it together and, and going through the motions. And so that means that I have to have, a, she has to be a priority in my life. Not only, let me tell you something else. When, when families, after a while, when they're holding the bag and we say to them, hey, I love you, I love you but you're never around, guess what happens? Do they feel loved? No. Not ever. You can say you love somebody all you want to, but if they don't feel like they're a priority in your life, what's happened is it can cause all kinds of problems. So what do we have to do? And this is what Andy Stanley says. He says we have to choose to cheat. And that's the operative word is choose. We have to choose what's important in life because because it's a choice we make to cheat our family. You probably have never used, thought about that in those terms before, unless you read Andy Stanley's book. But you've thought about it in other terms before. And the reality is, is so often what happens is, is that what we do is we, we really do make a choice. It may not be something we sit down and, and, and just sit down and say, oh, I'm going to cheat my family, I'm not, so, I'm, so I don't have to cheat. You don't say that, but that's what we do. That's what we do. And it may not just be work. Sometimes people cheat their families because, because of other things, too. Hobbies can become something. It becomes, takes to, so much time in our life that we don't give time to our family as well. All kinds of things, can, can, anything that causes us to make our family feel like our spouses and our kids feel like they're not a priority uh, does not, in a real sense, uh, help us to, to build the relationships we need to. Because we said this the last couple of weeks. Breathing room is that space between our current pace and our limits. And in a breathing room is where the relationships are built. And when we don't have any breathing room in, in, our, in our time, what happens is, is we never have any time to work on those relationships, which really need to be the primary thing in our life. You know, the thing is, is um, we all know, I don't think I need to take a survey this morning. Okay, I'm not even going to do that. We all know that families should come first, right? We all have that up here. I have never heard anybody said, and I've been around a lot of people. I've been in ministry 30-plus years, and I've been around a lot of people that are dying. And I've never had one person, not one time, ever say to me this on their deathbed. You know, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. Not one person has ever said that. No one has ever said that. We, we at least give a nod to the idea that our families are important, but still we find ourselves in a position where we are cheating them because of the demands of work. And you need to understand that it is no matter how much you give to your job, it will never be enough unless you set some limits. So, when the bag falls... Everybody's, you know, I, I find this amazing too. When the bag falls, when things fall apart, everybody is willing to spend the time to fix it at that point. 
I mean, people, once again, they come and say, Pastor, you know, I don't know why they're, and so they'll say, what can I do to fix it? And we start talking about that. They're willing to change their schedules of their jobs. They're willing to change everything in their life to fix their relationships after it's broken. Or they're going, my child has fallen off the deep end. What do I do? And they're willing to do anything and spend any amount of time at that point in their lives. You know this to be true because you may have been there. Isn't it more logical? Isn't it smarter to spend the time necessary along the way, nurturing the relationships so it doesn't get to that point before it becomes a disaster? So how how do you rearrange your schedule um, so that family is no longer cheated and your job, you can still do your job? How do you do that? Well, there's a great example in Scripture, and it's not about this exact same thing, but it's a guy, it's a guy in Scripture in the, in the Old Testament. His name is Daniel, and, and it worked for him. And I think it's a great example of a process we can do to begin. If you really are serious about re- readjusting your life, in a sense, so that you don't cheat your family, and you, in a sense, uh, uh, you know, make some limits on what you do as, as your job, then Daniel's uh, is a great example. Now, if you have your Bible this morning, well, some of you have electronic Bibles, so this doesn't work too well there. But if you have your Bible and you look at it, you just kind of open the Bible to the middle. That's where Daniel is, okay? Unless you have a Bible with a whole bunch of stuff in the back, and so it's a little bit further, okay. But anyway, uh, Daniel's kind of in the middle of the Bible. And Daniel uh, was not really, his problem wasn't a conflict between work and family, his problem was different, so let me just tell you about that a little bit and talk about the solutions here, and that's what we want to do the next all oh, 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes or so as we wrap this up today. About 605 B.C., let me give you some background, a new empire was developing uh, in the area of Southwest Asia. It was called the Babylonian Empire, and at the time we're talking about this, it was under the rule of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and if you grew up in church and you saw her all the stories, you know who Nebuchadnezzar was. Um, well, the, the Babylonians swept across the land, they, they took in all, the, they took in all these, uh, they, they conquered many people, and the Israelites, as they came to the Israelites, the Israelites at this point in their history had turned their back on God. This was one of those, those downtimes for the Israelites. They weren't doing too well. They turned their back on God. So God uh, allowed the Babylonians, he removed his protection from the Israelites and allowed the Babylonians to come in and to overcome the Israelites. And so the Babylonians quickly were able to conquer them. And then what happened is, as they did with every other conquering group that they went through, is they would go and take captive a number of people, the, the best and the brightest from the land, and take them back into Babylon to teach them, in a sense, to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian lifestyle. And sometimes what they would do is actually send them back after they, they proved to be leaders, send them back into their own country. Now they were kind of Babylonian, and they would send them back to be kind of like uh, local governors or stuff like that. And among the captives that they, uh, they took under at this time was a young man named Daniel. And Daniel, it turns out, was a faithful follower of God, and he was also a very gifted young man. So, so gifted, in fact, that he was chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar as one of the elite Israelites to be trained in the service in the king's palace. And so Daniel actually got to move into the palace to receive all, all kind of training. Now, he had some friends there, too, which you probably have heard before. You may not know their given names, but they were renamed. Uh, and you probably heard this because of another story in the Bible. It's in, a little bit further in Daniel. Uh, their three, his three friends were Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego, or Abednego. You know, some people can't get confused sometimes. Anyway, Abednego, okay, that's his three friends, and they come up a little bit in the story here as well. Now, one of the perks of living in the king's palace and being trained there in the king's palace is that they were given uh, the king's food, food straight from the king's table. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was food fit for a king, uh, and that's re- reality. And it sounds pretty good, but there was a problem with the food. And some people will take this verse out of context and, and they say it's a verse all about vegetarianism, okay? No, it's not, okay? It just happened to be in the story something else. Because the problem was not that, that the king's food was wine and meat and stuff like that. The problem was where the food came from. Because what happened is they would, in the Babylonian kingdom, they would take and offer the food to their gods, these, these heathen gods, And then after the heathen gods, you know, ate the food, then they would take and eat the food that was offered to the gods. So in a real sense, this this food was was representative of, of, uh, in a sense, of these gods. And so the problem that Daniel had was not the food itself. The problem he has was what it represented. Uh, In a sense, he would just say, if I eat of this food, I will be accepting the authority of those gods. That's what he was saying. So how did he handle the conflict? Well, the Bible says, and starting in Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 8, it says this, 8a. It says, but Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given them by the king. Now, for you and me, that doesn't sound like a big deal because, you know, if you just don't have some food, you know, uh, you go somewhere else. You go to McDonald's and get some food or somewhere else, you know, really mess up your system. But anyway, um, the reality is, is that the reality is he couldn't do that because he was a captive. He didn't have a lot of options here. And so what we learn from this process here, in a sense, is, is how to reprioritize. We can take these same principles he did with this conflict over between not eating the food and, being, and giving authority to God or letting uh, Nebuchadnezzar be his authority and choosing between the two. That's what he was doing here. And we can learn some lessons. The first, the first thing we can do, if you're going to make your family a priority again is number one you need to make up your mind you just need to choose to do that number one make up your mind in that verse you can underline the words if you have a bible that you can underline in or if you have something you underline in as well the words daniel did what daniel made up his mind it says daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given by the king Daniel made up his mind. He, wasn't, he just wasn't going to eat the food, and he was specific about it. He wasn't vague about it. He didn't say, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to or do better. I'm only going to eat enough so it doesn't cause any waves. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'll eat it, but I won't enjoy it. You know, he, you know, he could have said something like that. Or he could have said all kinds of things. But he said, you know, he says, no, Daniel was very specific. And he was very decisive in his decision here. He wasn't going to eat any of the, it, and he made up his mind. It didn't matter to him what the eventual outcome would be, though. We learned this from his life. Because he simply wasn't going to compromise because he had chosen that God was going to be his authority, that he was going to follow God no matter what, regardless of what happened with the king. That was his first thing. You have to choose. If you want to make sure that your family, your wife, your kids, your husband whatever, feels like their priority, you have to choose to make them a priority, whatever it takes. And for you and me, choosing not to cheat at home begins with a decision. 
the decision to stop cheating. And it's a decision that, we can't, that can't have a bunch of conditions attached to it. It's like, you know, like saying, well, when I'm financially more secure, I'll do that down the road. And all the meantime, what's your family doing? It's getting heavier. They're holding the bag. And the bag will drop. Because once you start slapping conditions on your decision, it shows your family what? It shows they're not really a priority at all. And you know what really helps? Daniel was very specific. He said, I'm not eating that food. Daniel was specific. He wasn't going to eat any of the food. How specific can you be if you make the choice not to cheat and you need to realize you need to spend more time, more of your quality time and quantity of time with your family? You can make decisions like, I'm only going to work 45 hours a week or I'm, I'm going, to, going to be home every evening for dinner or I'm, going to, I'm not going to work on my day off. How many of you do that? Don't raise your hand. How many of you go on vacation and take your laptop and work on stuff? Shame on you. Because that's not a vacation, okay? Because all it says to your family is, I can't think about anything except back there, all those folks at the office, all them people. Let me tell you something else. You know, who's going to be there for you in the end? How many of you think that you're... You're probably only two or three really poor decisions, poor mess-ups from getting a pink slip. Probably all of us. And so the thing is, is that, you know, we could mess up at home and you can get forgiveness. Doesn't work too long at the office. And so often we just simply place all this, all this, all this, uh, this energy into something that really Long-term, folks, that yeah, they may seem like they'd be a great company or a great place to work or whatever, but the reality is, man, if, you, if you're not, if it's downsizing or whatever, you, you can lose your job tomorrow. So you got to make a decision. you got to make a decision, and it's got to be specific. It's got to be something that's going to really stick. You know, I, I love history, and one of the history lessons I love about this is, an, is, is the story of Hernando Cortez, uh, he, when he landed his ships in, in Mexico, on the Mexican coast in 1519, he, he was coming there with 400 soldiers to, to conquer the land, uh, in, in a sense. And when he got off the boat, he wanted to make sure that the guys didn't turn back and didn't be, bail out on him, you know? And so he did the most drastic thing probably in history. And what he did is, you know what he did? Some of you know his history? He burned his ships. You know what that did? It meant like there's only one way to go forward. And that's the kind of decision, that's the kind of choice, if we mean business, and that's the kind of choice that will help our families to understand and feel like they're a priority. We have to go forward, we have to be focused. The focus needs to be on going forward, not going backwards. And here's a little language lesson, the Latin root word for the word back over there when it said that, that, that um, <clears throat> Daniel decided the Latin root word for the word decide, you know what it means? It means to cut off. To cut off. So when you decide something, you're not just selecting an option. What you're doing is you're eliminating all the other options that are out there. You're cutting them off. So when you decide to stop cheating your family, you need to cut off all the other options. You need to make up your mind, I'm not going to cheat my family any longer. It needs to be a strong decision. That's what Daniel did. That's the first thing. Now, Daniel, now we could go in, you know, so you can go in tomorrow and really do a dumb thing. 
You can go in and be real dogmatic and say, I am not cheating anymore, my family, and I'm going to do this. Now, you wouldn't last very long. Probably, you'd probably not have a job tomorrow. But anyway, the thing is, Daniel was smarter than that. This is the thing we can learn from Daniel. The last part of chap, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, after he you know, decided, he said, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat those unacceptable foods. And you can circle the word ask. And so the second thing is this. If, if you're going to make a decision about this, ask, don't demand. Do you realize what Daniel was doing by asking, by going to his, the, in a sense, his boss? What he was doing, he was acknowledging the authority the chief of staff had. And if he had gone into the office demanding his way and presenting ultimatums, he would have probably had some extended long-term time with his family that he didn't expect. But that's not what he did. It was an invitation, in a sense, to, to say to the boss, he said, I respect your authority, but this is not working for me. Can, you, can we work together, in a real sense, uh, to, to change some things? And so Daniel does that straightforward. He doesn't do anything else. He could have done some other things. He could have kept the, the chief of staff out of the loop and kind of deceived him in some sense. I mean, I've heard people before going, like, making this decision, they're not going to cheat their family, so they go in, they don't tell anybody, start leaving work early. I hate to tell you that, but that's not a great way to uh, build confidence in you as an employee. So if, in other words, if you, cheat, if you choose that you're going to cheat your fa- uh, cheat, not cheat your family, then you have to decide... To do it the right way. Daniel respected the chief's position, so he, did not make, he didn't make the ask. He didn't make demands. He didn't deceive. He didn't do any of those things. He made the ask. And then what do you do after? What do you do next? Well, the next thing he does, and this is something important as well, he listened and offered solutions. He asked him, he said, can I do this? I don't want to eat these food, this food. And then he says this in verse 10. He says, but the chief of staff responded. This is what Daniel was listening for. I'm afraid of my, uh, of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat the food and wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. What was the st- chief of staff's hang up? Was it the food? No, he didn't care about the food. He didn't really care if Daniel ate the food or not. He didn't care. All he cared about was what, he, what perception of what Daniel would look like. And in a sense, what? His production. His production. By the way, that is probably your employer's concern as well. Not how many, much overtime you work, it's your production. How focused you are while you're there. Uh, uh, you know, you, you might, so, so often we think that you are, we already know what our boss's reaction will, would be. Do you know what happens when we assume too many times? We usually assume wrong. And the reality is sometimes you're, you're wrong. So listen. Listen for what their real concerns is, and so as you go, and if you need to change some things in your schedule, and you need to go talk to your boss about it, or whoever it is, your supervisor, whoever he or she is, the thing is, you have to go in and you have to not only be open to them about the problem, but you also have to listen for their concerns as well. That's what Daniel did. Daniel was a sharp dude. He really was. He knew how to, how to do things in life, and we can learn tremendous things from him. Now, Daniel came up with his own solution, and he presented it as a test, in a sense, to, uh, to the, to the, the, the um, chief of staff. In, in verses 12 and 13, it says this. This is what Daniel comes up with. After he listened, after he listened, after he said what he was going to do, after he listened, and after he communicated, this is what he did. He says, please test us for 10 days. Us is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. 
Daniel said, at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who, had been, who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. He'd offered to his boss, in a sense, a suggestion about how they can still have, productive, have a productive working relationship and still Daniel could not, could, could not cheat on, on God. That's what he did. That's what he did. He just suggested a trial period. You know, I've heard of people, even here in this church, who've actually done that. They've gone into their boss and they said, you know, how about if I work through lunch and get off half an hour earlier than normal because I know my family have young kids at home. At this stage of life, what I need to do is I need to be there for them. And every stage of life is different. And I know that's worked. So don't say that doesn't work because it has worked. You need to figure out a solution that works for you. Rearranging your hours, working more strategically, delegating more effectively, whatever. Look, our jobs are important, right? We have to work and we should work, but the tendency for many of us is to overdo it. And our families are cheated because of it. So figure out a solution so you're not cheating your family. And what you're doing, in a real sense, is you can, you can if you're going to cheat anybody, cheat your job. But in a real sense, you're not really cheating your job. Because this is a, a quote from Andy Stanley in the book, Choosing to Cheat. He says, cheating at work isn't really cheating at all. It's merely testing to see how well the requirements of your job can be met under a different arrangement. Sometimes we just have to be a little more creative in regard to how we approach things. We've got to be open to that and not just take for granted that, hey, this is the most important thing. But then the thing is that we don't often do, and this is where, this is where it gets exciting for me in, the part, in this book and Daniel, but also in our life is this. The next thing, after Daniel had done these things, after he communicated, after he came up with this alternate plan, whatever, then, you, then the fourth step is this, watch for God to intervene. You know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Not only, not only do we follow God's plan, but when we do, the Bible says that God, in a real sense, will bless us. It may not be tangible, but it may be some, in some ways. And this is what it says in, in Daniel 1.9. It says, now God, after this had happened, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. You're going like, you know, I'll never be my boss. Have a respect and affection for me. Who, who says God's that limited? <clears throat> the important thing was here in his first two words, it says, now God, now God, now God. I, you know, this is what I call now God moments. Daniel was committed to his values and his convictions. He was faithful to God. He responded humbly and obediently. And because of all of that, he experienced a now God moment. The reason so often, some, I hear people say all the time, I wish that I could see God at work in my life. And guess what? you got to be obedient to God up front and, and allow him to work in your life so that you can allow him to work and do things. I talked about it last week with our finances. You can do it with your time. You can do it with your relationship with your family as well. You are not God. And if you're going to allow God to be God and work in your life and have now God moments, what's going to happen is you've got to trust God in the things he asks you to do. And then you will see the now God moments. That's what Daniel did. And this is not the only place in Scripture that it happened. 
Think about this. If Daniel had already concluded that there was no way the chief of staff would listen to him, and so he wasn't going to ask, what would have happened? He would have missed out on this now God moment. It makes me wonder how many times I miss out on now God moments. Because I just assume. I just assume. And the other verse I want to point out here is the test that was carried out afterwards. It says in verse 17, it says, after all this happened and, and, and it was approved to do this test, it says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of, li- of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. You see what God's doing? He's not only changing the mind of other people. What God is doing is he's helping the, Daniel and his friends become all that God wanted them to be in a real sense. Because of their trust in him. I love what Andy Stanley says in another quote from his book, Choosing to Cheat. He says, God honors those who honor him. Honor him at home and experience his blessing there. Honor him in the marketplace and look for him to show up there as well. He is as capable of intervening in your office on Monday afternoon as he is in the church on Sunday morning. You know, it'd be real easy to stop right there and go like, that was a great story, man. You know, everything turned out perfect, and it's just, a, you know, that, it's going to work. You know, I'm going to follow this plan. And One more step. Be prepared to walk away. Let me just tell you my own story just a minute, and we'll end up here. We've got about two minutes, and we're done. No more songs. I'm going to pray. You're going to go home. So... I've shared with you before the struggle that my wife had when, we, when I first, we, we, were, we were dating and then we got engaged, and I was an architectural major in college. And then God changed my mind, and he led me toward ministry. And I did not know that several years before that, my wife had made this comment. She says, I will never marry a pastor. She said that. And I've shared with you too, I've been very open with you about this, and she doesn't mind me saying this. The reason she said that was because her dad was a pastor, is a pastor, even in retirement. And he was a pastor who was a workaholic. And she never saw her dad. She played sports. She was all metro in basketball in high school. My wife was a stud. Besides being a hot-looking woman, she's a stud, too. But the thing is, the thing is, I'm not proud of her at all. Uh, But the thing is, the thing is, she played basketball through high school, made all these things. He never went to one game. Not once. Now, he's a good guy. But he has this, I think he's deceived by the fact, he thinks because he's a pastor that his job is about God and it's more important than family. And I disagree with him hugely from Scripture. Just because I work, and I could justify that, you know, what I'm doing at church, I could be here all the time because I'm doing God's work. Well, God's primary work for me is to be a husband and a father and then a pastor. And so years ago, I made this commitment to my wife early on. I said, honey, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you feel like that you're a priority. And so when I came here to interview 13, about 13, 12 and a half years, 13 years ago, something like that, Doug, you're shaking your head because you were, on the, you were chairman of the, of the pastor search committee then. I don't know if you remember what I said, 
But I said to the team, I said, hey, they asked me about what's my priorities, and I said, my priorities are this. My family, my relationship with God, and then the church. And I said, if anything comes between me and my wife, or this job becomes between me and my wife, guess who's going to lose? I'll be out of here. If I ever felt like that there was some kind of I felt like there was some kind of thing that would cause me to, ha- to harm my relationship with my wife because of my job. And I was expected and demanded, in a sense, to work the hours or have the kind of thing where I was everything to everybody all the time. And simply, I would be out of here. And I mean that. And I keep telling her. I asked her last night. I asked her last night. I said, right, am I, do you feel, still feel like I'm, do you feel like I'm, che-? she knew it was all about the sermon. I said, do you feel like I'm cheating you in any way? She says, No. Don't pat me on the back because, man, if she hadn't said that years ago, I'd have probably fallen into the same trap. And she would have felt like she, even she would have, she'd still be holding the bag because in some, sometimes she has held the bag in certain seasons of life. So the question is, the question is, who are you cheating? Who are you cheating? Are you cheating your family? Are you cheating your work? What are you doing? I think it's clear from Scripture who we're supposed to cheat if we have to make a choice, and we do have to make a choice because we have limited time. We can't do it all. It's part of life. We have to make choices. God says this, and this, we'll close with this verse. It says in Matthew 6.33, this is a different translation, NLT. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's a huge matter of trust. Who do you trust? And who are you cheating? (laughs) I challenge you to do this if you're married. Go home and talk about this and ask. (laughs) Now that you know the whole thing about cheating in the right context... Do you feel like I'm cheating you? You may have some interesting conversations. And if you need counseling, my number is 261-0236. You can text me. Okay? Next week we close out this series talking about something that is hugely important that will derail every one of us if we don't be careful. We're talking about setting moral boundaries. Making sure we have breathing room between the choices we have to make morally and the edge of a cliff. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray and we'll go home. God, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. We pray that you would enable us right now, in a real sense, to um, not only understand this, but to apply to our lives this teaching. Uh, the, the example that Daniel had. I mean, yeah, it worked here. It doesn't always work. Sometimes, God, the reality is, is we have bosses and we have people that we work with that no matter what we do, they'll be demanding, and they really don't care. All they care about is company. And, man, and I don't know if you want to, I don't know about, I wouldn't want to work for a place like that that has no understanding and no understanding of family and the importance of it because their priorities are messed up. God, guide us right now that there's people here who are cheating their family because they're so focused on their work and, 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 their, and, and all they have to know how, how they can know that is just to simply ask their spouse, 
Do, I, do you feel like that you're a priority? Do you feel like I'm cheating you? And in doing so, God, it'll help us to understand that we may need to change some things. And here's an example from Daniel in Scripture that'll help us to do the things that we need to do. And take a process, a, a good process, to communicate and to have options and to listen and do all the things we need to do in a good relationship. And then if necessary, God, to even look for other potential employment if if where we're going is leading us to disaster in our relationship. It doesn't matter how much God, you know, God, you know this, and all of us know this. It doesn't matter how much money you make if you're destroyed, if down the road all you have to do is give it to lawyers for, for a divorce, divorce court. Because what will happen, God, if we leave our family holding the bag too long, what will happen is, is it will drop it, and then we won't even know that it's happening because we won't even see it coming. Guide us now, God. Guide us now to do the things and make the choices that we need to make to make our family a priority. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.